This morning, uh, we will be continuing our series on Jesus. Um, I think it was incredible just to worship him this morning. Um, And I've got this wonderful title, Jesus, King of Kings. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to Revelation chapter 19? Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes the sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wonder what sort of images come to mind when you think about a king. I've got a couple of suggestions here. Perhaps you think of this chap, Elvis Presley, uh, the king of rock and roll. Or perhaps you might even think about Michael Jackson, uh, the king of pop. Uh, I've offended Nigel by putting this chappy up in this state rather than his former state. Uh, Just want to think for a few moments about what it means uh, to be a king. Can anyone uh, name who this chappy is? Well done. I'll give you a sweet later on. Uh, It is Alfred the Great. Uh, He was the king between 1849 and 8... Sorry, not 18. 849 and 899. He was known as a great leader in war. Uh, He was a statesman and a scholar. Uh, He's been described as possessing great leadership over the land and the people that he served. Uh, In a time when England was in constant threat from the Danish Vikings, he secured great victories. Uh, The Vikings overran the Anglo-Saxons in Wessex on marshlands. Uh, Alfred was left there with a few remnants, uh, and they were contemplating their defeat, probably licking their wounds. But from this low situation, he raised up her mighty army uh, that were loyal to him. They broke from the marshes, uh, surprised the Vikings, and drove them out of Wessex. He went on to reconquer England uh, and establish the borders. Some of the other things he's known for is translating books into uh, common Anglo-Saxon. And he had many great accomplishments, which is why he has the title Alfred the Great. Next one. There's a bit of a clue because his name's written on the bottom. (laughs) William the Conqueror. Uh, He reigned 1066 until 1087. Don't worry, by the way, I'm not going to do all of the kings of Britain. Don't worry. Uh, In early 1066... Edward, king of England, died, and Harold, Earl of Wessex, was crowned king. This chap was quite furious because he claimed that uh, he'd actually been promised the throne. Uh, So he came over from Normandy on the 28th of September, 1066, and established a camp near Hastings. You might have known where that was, Dave. Been there there once. 1066? No? (laughs) No? Uh, we find that he established a camp there and then on the 14th of October uh, the two armies met and were locked in a fierce battle which lasted all day long Uh, King Harold was killed and his army was defeated 
Uh, William went on to win the battle and was crowned King of England at this point on Christmas Day 1066. He went on to establish a Norman reign in England. Uh, he crushed resistance and secured the borders. Something I'm not happy about is that he marched into Wales and Scotland. Um, but he has a, a mighty force. Or maybe, if we want to be politically correct, you might think of a queen. Probably none greater than Queen Victoria. Uh, she reigned between 1837 and 1901. Uh, although she had inherited a weak kingdom, during her reign the British Empire doubled in size and it's known as the highest point in Britain's willpower. She reigned for longer than any other monarch, 64 years in total. That's quite a feat. She outlived and outreigned her contemporaries. Uh, just in contrast, during her reign, there had been two dynasties and republicanism in France. Uh, there had also been three monarchs in Spain. So she lasted quite a long time, really. I don't know if they pickled her or something like that, but she lasted quite well. Uh, the monarch website says this of her. Queen Victoria is associated with Britain's great age of industrial expansion, economic progress, and especially empire. At her death, it was said... Britain had a worldwide empire on which the sun was never set. I wonder what the Jews might have thought when they heard the word king. We find in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that the Israelites asked for a king. They had been ruled by judges and prophets, uh, but now they wanted a king who would lead them out. We find that God tells them what will happen if they have a king over the nation. They warned that the king would take their sons and their daughters to be slaves. Uh, he'd take their money from them. He'd take their crops. He'd take their land. But still, they cried out, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before, before us and to fight our battles. God answered their request. He gave them a king. This man was a, a chap called Saul. Uh, we find that he, he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So I'm probably a bit like uh, Phil at the back there then. Uh, he stands head and shoulders above me. Uh, so we find in 1, 1 Kings 10 that Samuel anoints Saul and Saul is called to reign over the people of God. Uh, he's called to save the people uh, from their enemies and to lead them out. Initially, does quite well. Uh, he secures some great victories. Uh, but tragically, he doesn't wholeheartedly honour God. We find that he becomes a jealous, uh, selfish king, and he be begins to actually fulfil the uh, warnings that God had given the nation. So what does God do after that? He sends Samuel to go to Jesse's family. We find that God chooses a man after his own heart, not a man who's head and shoulders above everyone, but one who has even been forgotten by his own family. Uh, he was left there uh, shepherding the flock whilst everyone else greeted Samuel. This young boy's name, we know, was David. We hear, Dave, uh, sorry, we hear that God speaks these words. Do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We find that David became a great warrior. He was a great warrior both during Saul's reign and following Saul's reign. We remember that even as a young boy he had tremendous courage. All of us know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, we find that 
the mighty army of Israel was lined up against the Philistines. And there's just one man who's mocking them, saying, you know, come forth and have a battle with me. None of them would step forward. These are warriors who are used to battle. But on the scene comes this young boy, David. He hears uh, Goliath mocking uh, the God of Israel. He takes a sling and a stone and kills him. Such is the courage of this man. Uh, We find that uh, even while Saul was still king, the Israelites sang, Saul his slaves his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David was a mighty warrior. He was a great king. He was a worshipper of God. I'm sure that if he was uh, amongst us this morning, that actually he would have uh, been worshipping God like any of us and probably leading us in that. Uh, We remember that he worshipped God with such abandonment that even his wife was embarrassed of him and rebuked him for uh, not being dignified. David went on to establish a great kingdom and he extended the borders of his nation. This truly was a man after God's own heart. However, we find that he sinned. We find he had an affair with Bathsheba and he got her husband killed in order to cover up his wrongdoing. Even this great king, who when you ask uh, the Jews who they'd put up there on the top of the leaderboard, they would say that David would be there at the top. Even David had his failings. Following David was his son, Solomon. He extended the kingdom further than any other king of Israel. This is where this pointy thing comes in handy. The green bit here is modern-day Israel. Well, it was 10 years ago. And the, the large bit that the, you see there, the lighter bit, that was Solomon's kingdom. So we see that he had a massive kingdom. He extended it further than any other king of Israel. He was known for his extraordinary wisdom and the extent of that kingdom. He was also the one who was tasked uh, by God for building the temple of the Lord. Surely Solomon would be the greatest king that the nation ever had. Unfortunately not. Uh, His reign was marred by him not following God wholeheartedly. We find that he built a kingdom in order to match the kingdoms around him, but he also built it in a similar way to them, rather than in God's ways. We find that he took for himself many wives and concubines, hundreds of them, and he worshipped foreign gods and was led astray. Again, such promise, such favour from God, yet such a mess. We find that this pattern follows down throughout Israel's history of monarchs. A king would rise up who was just and would follow God and would serve him, would be a great warrior. And then we find that another would, uh, would come who would quickly ruin all the good that that king had done. Uh, he would cause the nation to worship false gods Uh, He would abuse his people and deal with them harshly. And this cycle continued again and again. However, even in the midst of the comings and goings of these kings, there have been promises spoken of a king to come. We find that towards the end of David's life, God speaks to David and says that he will raise up one of David's offspring to rule over his house and his kingdom forever. David says in his Psalms that this king will have all the ends of the earth, all nations, bow down before him. He says that all dominion belongs to him. 
He says that he will rule over all the nations. He says that he will defend the afflicted among the people, that he will save the children of the needy, that he will crush the oppressor, that he will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. He will sit at the right hand of God, and his enemies will be a footstool for his feet. He will rule in the midst of his enemies. He will be arrayed in holy majesty. He will judge the nations and crush the rulers of the whole earth. That's an awesome king. So what of his kingdom? We're told in Isaiah that in the last day, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised up above the hills and all nations will stream to it. That's a mighty kingdom. Then we find that in Daniel chapter 2, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was uh, the great world power at that time, had this dream that Daniel uh, interpreted. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, which will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. I find that incredible, that uh, this is probably the equivalent to Obama having a dream like this, and someone going and interpreting it, saying, your kingdom will come to an end but there will be one who rises and his kingdom shall never end. He will smash your kingdom and every kingdom and his kingdom will reign forever. How will they know that this king is coming? Surely he'll be born in a palace and he'll charge forth on a great war horse. No. We're told in Zechariah 9 that the king will be coming to them gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Though he will come on a donkey, he will be righteous and have salvation. 
He will take away the war horses from the surrounding nations. He will bring peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Although he comes on a donkey, he comes with greatness. The Israelites lived in hope with these prophecies of the king to come. We find that they lived for many years outside of their nation. Uh, Even when they were in their nation, they had other kings ruling over them. But all the time they held on to the promises of the king who would rise up, who would rule over all the nations of the world and would smash the oppression that they were in. We find that key points in Jesus' life that he's declared to be king. 2,000 years ago, he was a baby born to a regular man and woman in a smelly, uh, broken stable. There was no fanfares, but still Magi came to honour him. They recognised him as the king of the Jews. Again, this is a phrase that's repeated uh, throughout the Gospels. Uh, an example is in John 1, we find that Nathaniel recognises Jesus as the son of God, the king of Israel. During Jesus' life, he talked about his kingdom and the kingdom of God that would have no end. This kingdom would reign forever and over all people and all nations. We then find in the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, he made a triumphal entry to Jerusalem. What did he come in on? A donkey. The people threw down their cloaks and palm leaves in front of him and declare, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. When Jesus is questioned and tried by Pilate, he's asked again, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus simply replies, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this very reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Again, at the end of his life, he's mocked, he's beaten. The guards uh, made a crown for him, not a wonderful one of gold, but this one, one of thorns. They forced it onto his brow and they clothed him in a robe. They mocked him, calling him the king of Jews. We even find at the cross, they fit this plaque, which says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Just look at those a moment. The Jews must have been quite surprised that actually this king that they thought would come is suddenly iconized by these. He's just, you know, these are how he comes in. He, oops. He comes in not on a mighty horse. He comes in on a little donkey. He doesn't come with a, a great gold crown. He comes with a a crown of thorns. And instead of having a a great palace and having uh, a great plaque, he has this little one that's made. It must have confused the Jews. But we find that actually he was the one that is the king of kings. He is the king of kings. They'd imagined a mighty warrior riding on a war horse. They imagined the king who would reign for a long time, that would push back the borders of the nations, that possibly would extend the kingdom further uh, than that of Solomon. We find instead the king died. However, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. 
we find that when he rose from the dead, he didn't just come to life, but he came back with greater power and authority than any earthly king. We find that Jesus defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated sickness. What other king has done that? We find in Ephesians 1 that Paul declares that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We find that he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, even in the midst of Jesus' trial before Pilate, who had the power to condemn him, Jesus declared to him, you'd have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Jesus was always in control. We find that Jesus is the king that was prophesied. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who reigns over all nations. There's no other uh, king who has had that power or will have that power. We see that even uh, the world powers of today, they only rule over a part of the world. Even uh, those of the past, we find that the Romans, they only ruled over part of the world. We find the Babylonians, they ruled part of the world. But Jesus rules over all of the world, all of the nations. It's all his. We find uh, some of the guys went to the Everything Conference yesterday. And the the big scripture for that was uh, that the world is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to our King Jesus. He is the one who has all power, all authority, and all strength. He is the one who reigns over all nations at all times for all generations. He is the one who is just. He is the one who has all strength. He is the one who comes to lead his people to victory. All the other kings that we have talked about have had their flaws. All of them failed. Jesus will never fail. He's perfect. He'll never have a bad day at the office. He'll never slip. He's perfect and will reign forever. We find that, like I said, all of the other kings reigned over varying parts of the world. But Jesus reigns over all nations, over all the world, over all the nations of the world. All the other kings reigned for a few decades. Even uh, Queen Victoria, who reigned for uh, 64 years, that's nothing. Jesus rules forever. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Will powers are nothing to him. Like I said before, uh, there is this this kingdom that were the Babylonians. Uh, I was quite struck when I looked at uh, a comment that Andrew Wilson had made in his book, God Stories. He said, when was the last time you met a Babylonian? (laughs) These kingdoms come and they go. We find that uh, God just scoffs at them because he knows that they're only in for a short time. I'm aware that we're approaching the election, and even though I'll be prayerfully considering, can't get my words right now, prayerfully considering who I'll vote for, ultimately, they'll only be there for a short time. You know, in 50 years, 
Will they even be remembered? How many of you could go back and name all of the prime ministers that we've had? Or how many of you could perhaps name all of the presidents of the United States? We forget them. They rise and they fall. But Jesus will never fall. Jesus' kingdom will reign forever. He holds all nations, all peoples, all tribes in his hands. He will never be defeated. There will never be a king who will take his throne. Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. His authority cannot be disputed or challenged by any earthly ruler. At the moment, we see and know Jesus in part, but there will be a day, like we were singing about before, when we will see him face to face. There will be a day when we will see him, as we read in Revelations 19. He'll be returning on a white horse, and we, his army, will be led out. I find that incredible. There will be a day, as David said earlier, that every knee will bow and every tongue will will confess that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. So what's the implications? I wrote this before uh, David said this earlier. You have an invitation from the king. Just as we had that parable about the prodigal son who comes returning to his father, you have an invitation from the king. Last week, uh, Fleur received a a really odd letter. Uh, She was expecting a CRB to arrive. She opened up the letter, and it was an invitation to go and meet the Queen and Prince Philip. Uh, Slightly different. Um, What we've got is that uh, that letter, she's going uh, to a celebration of volunteering, and her presence has been requested uh, to go before the Queen. Now, that invitation is addressed to Fleur. It's not addressed to me. I can't uh, take it and go to the Queen. Actually, that invitation's for Fleur. Uh, If Fleur loses her invitation, she can't just enter. (laughs) She's got to take along her ID for her to be recognised. And actually, how could anyone enter the presence of a king? We can't just stroll up to, to a king and expect to enter. Actually, we come through an invitation. And the King of Kings invites all of us to enter. He invites all of us to come into his presence. I find that amazing that we can enter, not the presence of an earthly queen or a king, but actually we can enter the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, you know, if you're like that prodigal son, he stands there and says, I'm dirty, I'm smelly, I don't have the clothes to wear. Actually, just hear what Jesus says to you. He'll clothe you in royal robes. He'll clothe you so that you're acceptable in his presence. He makes an invitation. Don't turn him down. Just come into his presence. Second implication. Quite simply, worship Jesus. There will be a day, as we've talked about, when every knee will bow before Jesus. Every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. That's a fact. Now we've got a choice to make. We can wait until that day or we can choose to do that today. If you're not a Christian, 
I would ask you, please, don't put that off. Please do that. However, if you are a Christian, I simply want to encourage you, will you just worship Jesus? He's worthy of your praise. No matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, Jesus is worthy of your praise. Thirdly, we are Jesus' ambassadors in this world. Paul states to the Corinthians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. To be an ambassador means that we're called to represent someone. So, for example, in the UK, uh, we would find that the US ambassador is representing Obama. He comes and he speaks on behalf of the United States in this country. In the same way, we're called to represent King Jesus in our everyday life. We're called to tell others about Jesus. We're called to represent him to the people around us. No matter where you are, represent Jesus. We don't do this in our strength. We don't do it in our own authority. We do it in Christ's authority. And he has all authority in his hands. So actually, we can do this with boldness. Again, not, not because we're doing it in our strength, but because we do it in his strength. We were raised with him. We can do it. And finally, if you're a Christian today, you've been raised with Christ, and now you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. This means that we get to share in some of the authority that Jesus has. We're living in the authority of Jesus. We're part of his body. We're living with him. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you and me. That's some power. We are from God and we've overcome the world because the one who is in us is greater than he that, who is in the world. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This great king goes before us, just as he was prophesied about, and he leads us into victory. He fights our battles for us. This means we can live with confidence at all times. The king of kings is on our side. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's living inside you and me. That's amazing. We find that um, no matter what your situation is, he is the king of that situation. So if you're scared of death, you've got a king who has conquered death. You've got a king who's taken the sting out of death. It means that if you are struggling with sin, you've got a king who has defeated sin. We find that if you're struggling with anxiety, you've got a king who has authority over all situations. If you're sick here today, you have a king who has the authority to heal you. To conclude, we find that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He has all authority over all nations, over the heavens and the earth. His kingdom will never come to an end. He rules and reigns forever. And he invites us into his presence right now. He clothes you in royal robes so that you can enter his presence. I want to say don't wait. Just come and enter his presence. I want to make an invitation this morning. Uh, please come forward. Uh, a, if you'd like to become a Christian, there'd be no greater joy. Um, if you're sick, come forward and we'll pray for healing. 
And if you want to know renewed boldness to be Christ's ambassador, again, we'd love to pray for you. So during this song, don't hold back, come forward and we'll pray.